0: will never be moved from here. Our lives live in the seeds intimacy doesn't mean perfection it doesn't mean you've in a vacuum done all your inner work and your attachment wounds are healed and you're like a somatic expert in every single moment who can regulate. Intimacy often means getting messy together and allowing ourselves to be seen first by ourselves and then by the person or people that we're intimately connecting with. And sometimes that means revealing our process.
1: Welcome to the Art of Relating podcast, where I'm figuring out life, asking questions, becoming present with the unknown, and navigating the mystery with my dear friends, These conversations are one of my greatest resources, and I hope they can be a catalyst for you on your journey as well. I'm your host, Tammy Chow from Somatic Spirit. Today on the podcast, I have a conversation with my dear friend, Lee, who is an intimacy coach, and we've known each other about five years now. I worked with her as my coach during the time that I was really trying to figure out if the six-year relationship I was in was right for me or not, and she has been a really good friend ever since. Following her and her partner, Ani's journey in their five-year relationship has been so nourishing. Watching the ways that they navigate intimacy and relationships, they're both intimacy coaches and have been been such huge expanders for me, and they've just recently started a school for women for dating and navigating relationships called Aligned Attraction. So naturally, Lee is one of my go-tos to talk to when I'm trying to figure out my own dating life and how to navigate each phase of dating that I'm in. In our conversation, I'm bringing her exactly what's present in my dating life right now, and her nurturing presence and consistent way of showing up was so helpful for me to get some clarity on what it is that I need and how. To voice that, I think this conversation is super relatable to a lot of people who might be navigating dating and relationships right now. So I really hope that you enjoy our conversation. So, as you know, I've been navigating the landscape of dating, and you have kind of been with me on this journey for the past, I don't know, two or three years, ever since I was with Eric, who's my partner of six years, and we worked together. And then Since then, I've been just dating and making what my Vedic astrologer calls uh, unintentional educational mistakes, (laughs) which he says are necessary in order for us to find what's right for us. And so just to update you, like most recently, I've been seeing someone that is super I guess I would say expansive in the way that my younger self or, you know, when I was in the place of having really low self worth, somebody that I would assume would be for other women, you know, like my story has always been that I need to provide and take care of someone to have like worth. And so like my incredible ability to hold space for others and clients and process translates over to that in relationships in the past where I'm literally just doing the emotional processing for them and finally have realized how exhausting that is. And so it's interesting, like what's been, and so for for example, like this person on like a lifestyle level, attraction level, like everything is someone that I think some of my friends would reflect back to me that I'm putting on a pedestal because there's this young part of me that's like, oh my God, oh my God, who are you? Like, how do you even exist? And uh, so then there's like the other part that of me that wants to suppress that, you know, which I don't think is healthy either. Like, I think we can, I don't know. I'm, I'm just like presenting all these things and seeing what you think about it. But I think it's healthy for that part to get to express as well. And then something interesting I started noticing because I do think that learning about attachment patterns helps us have so much more compassion when we're in relationship to not make everything about me and to also not react out of my, you know, habitual protective responses. And then of course, learning about masculine feminine polarity, especially coming from what we grew up witnessing in our Parents, like for me, I I witnessed a lot of codependency and caretaking, and you know, the woman's role being like, I need to take care of everything, like cleaning, work, everything. And then this, like, very controlling, domineering way of what I guess we would call the wounded feminine. But then I noticed that when I get into my fear with like how excited and confronting this relationship is for me that my mind has started taking all of these ideologies to like paste sticky notes on him as reasons for why he is not, that I shouldn't even continue relating with him. And so I just thought that was interesting. And I'm curious your journey with this and your thoughts and if this shows up in your work with clients
0: or yourself. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing all of that and like letting me into the the intimate space of your mind and your body. I Really appreciate your self-awareness and thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the lens through which you see yourself and you see the world is really brilliant. One, the first thing that came up as you were saying that was, how do you feel in your body, particularly when you're with him? Lee, this is so hard for me right now because.
1: You know, like I grew up in Texas, and my history involves a lot of like rape culture, frat boy shit, and particularly with my first love, who was kind of like the same archetype as him, like beautiful, talented man who I just was like so beside myself with, who was like uh so charming, and you know, I kind of had stars in my eyes when I was sixteen, and then that later some fucked up shit happened that I actually have been in a container for the past six months piecing apart. I've been in a container where women are witnessing me piece that apart. And so it's confusing for me because it's very coupled with this guy because they resemble each other so much. And so I want to like, it's both. It's like at first it feels like shock and terror, (laughs) you know, like where we were I brought in the context of authentic relating and circling with us and he responded so beautifully and I felt so comfortable. And then he wanted to do some masculine feminine polarity stuff where we were playing with, you know, him moving towards me or away, you know, boundary stuff. But what I really noticed in my body was like full-blown terror. And so it's hard to say what's him and also what's me, because even when I was with Eric, my partner of six years, and he had suggested us to go to an intimacy workshop, I was like, oh, I'm a somatic practitioner. I got this. This is my thing, my world, right? And I get there and like my shoulders are up to my ears and I can't help that. My heart's pounding out of my chest. And like they had, you know, whoever is across from you, like give the other person some touch that you they think you need. Somebody put their hands on my shoulders and they were like, relax, like chill out. It's okay. (laughs) And so I know this about myself is that there's like visceral intimacy fears based on survival stuff. So it's not to, this is where it gets complicated because I feel like it's not as easy to be like, how do I feel with him? And you know, I've had that question from women like, or or people warning me about like, trust your body. If you don't feel safe with him, then you know. But I'm like, okay, yes, but also there's trauma involved. So I'm curious what you think about that.
0: Yeah. One, I just, in my heart, I just want to hold all of you. I want to hold the little girl in you. I want to hold the teenage girl. I want to hold the grown woman. I want to hold the wise woman who has been to all the places and seen all the things, who already knows how all of this works. and what the quote unquote answer is, because all all of those versions of you exist and many others that I cannot even name. Mm-hmm. And so Thank you. I'm here for all of it. And I'm here for the part of your mind that intellectualizes this and fits him into frameworks or fits your dynamic into frameworks or assesses this based on attachment theory or somatics and it's all the things. And so mm-hmm. I just one I feel called to be with you in All of the things you're thinking, feeling, wondering about, afraid of, you know, all of that. And all of it's great. All of it's awesome. All of it has its place. All of it is valid and worthy. And in my opinion, I don't know if there's anything to do, at least in this particular Mm -hmm. moment. There's nothing to figure out or (laughs) solve.
1: Lee, this was what you told me three years ago, and I hated you for it. (laughs) It's the best fucking advice anybody ever told me. I hate it.
0: I know because the the conditioned, I don't know, for me, it's like the conditioned, presentable, smart, straight A Asian woman wants to figure it all out and perform and then earn love based on good performance. And the mind fuck of it all is that we don't have to do any of that to be inherently worthy. We just are. And I'm not saying that because I Feel this way all the time. There are plenty of moments where I need to be reminded that I'm worthy and that I don't have to prove myself. And I will pass that sentiment along in that as we even check out the possibility of that as the truth, we open space inside of our minds and inside of our bodies to relax and surrender. And that could be relaxing into fear. It could be relaxing into anxiety. It could be relaxing into you know, excitedness or, uh, contentment. And so the, the thing that I, you know, I hear very similar things with many of the women that I work with. And the only thing there ever is to do in the present moment is just be with what's here and acknowledge what's here. And in that acknowledgement and being present with, which is sometimes really hard, it's, I find that it's equally as hard sometimes to be with what feels hard as it is to be with what feels really good. Yeah. They can both feel really challenging, and our window of tolerance for both is sometimes very limited when we haven't practiced being present with what's here. So, that is a starting point, yes. I think, is a great place to start. So, there's two things that come up for me when you say that. One is
1: the good girl rhetoric of like, I think one of the shameful voices in the sphere is like, probably like everybody's collective wounded feminine mom who has instilled in us that if we make the wrong move, we're fucked. And I think that's what perpetuates this inability to stay with what's present, right? And, and it's reflected to us. And, you know, like in my attachment training, it was interesting to learn that most of our best girlfriends usually kind of repeat back to us whatever we are projecting or whatever because they do it out of love and support. I've done it. You know, I'm always like have my best friends back because in a way it's like getting to be with her, with what's present. And also I have amazing friends that I really trust who can also be like, and here's another perspective that I'm offering you, right? Which I've really grown to value. But in the attachment training, it's like, yeah, most people's friends will validate their experience. And actually as practitioners, we sometimes actually need to, what do you call it? Uh, not convince, but support them moving towards the relationship instead of away from it, because that's actually the expansion that needs to happen. And that's like what you're saying with opening to the good, which is so real. Like, I, the receiving part of it, I mean, I just feel like there's not enough of this on the internet about how hard it is to actually open to good. And I talk about it all the time with, ple- you know, pleasure and resourcing and everything, but like the other day, I really it felt like a shock of trying to take him in or like my new reality of where I am, you know, doing my mission, being in the place that I love, being in the home that I've created, now possibly receiving this partner that I may have been asking for for a while and You know, I'm open to whatever comes from it, but it felt like pain and it felt like terror. And I know that somebody may be like, oh my God, what horrible problems to have. Right. And I feel like that voice is also what doesn't allow us to open up to the good. But I was like, my eyes are open. My chest is like, it's like hard to breathe. Like it actually, it's, it's like work to actually titrate
0: into allowing that. And that's just how it is for you right now. Right. Right that's it. There, There is no good thing about that or bad thing about that or right thing or wrong thing or it's not entitled. It's not less than anything. It just, that is what is in your mind and body at this particular moment. And that's subject to change in two minutes from now, who knows? And the more that we can be with what's here and own it, which is a a download that I uh, something that someone shared with me the other day, they were like, just own where you're at. Even if you don't like it, own it and, and create the capacity internally to own it, which uh, that's a whole other conversation. But I'm know that I'm here with you. And like in this moment, as you're sharing, like, wow, it feels really challenging to even receive the goodness. I feel you. I've experienced my own set of sensations and thoughts and emotions and resistance to goodness. And that's a part of our collective conditioning as well. So here we are doing the courageous work of working through it and being with it and having conversations about it and feeling through it. And that's what I imagine is required to be able to receive and feel more goodness, which is what most of us want. I'm curious
1: if you'd be willing to share some of your experience with this, with Ani. And, you know, because you've been in a relationship for how long? Almost five years. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm just so curious if this still comes up for you, opening up to goodness and trust with him, even after five years. Like, I don't know. What comes up for you in this conversation, speaking to your own experience? Yeah. It, things still come up
0: for me. I There is this idea that so many of us have that as soon as we get the guy, we're going to figure it out. It's going to be good. No more issues. That's the end of the end of the road. Then the party begins and the party does begin, but so does a lot of inner work. And because in relationship, as so many of us know, that's when this stuff comes up. That is when we have a mirror on the other side to reflect back to us, the things that we love about ourselves and the things that we feel ashamed of or the things that feel challenging for us to see. And so in the beginning of my relationship for the first few years, I vehemently resisted goodness. And for a lot of that, I was blissfully unaware that I was sabotaging the relationship. Can you give me examples of what that is? Yeah. So in the most common example, I would start conflict out of thin air. Like there wouldn't a genuine reason to be arguing about something, but I would either catch a mood or I'd, I'd get into a, an emotional state or I'd find fault in something he was doing. And then I wouldn't address it. I wouldn't address the stories and narratives that I was creating in my mind about him and how he's the bad guy and the perpetrator. And he always does this and he never does this. And this is how it's going to be. And so I, I, for a little while, I let these stories amass. I didn't address them. I didn't take responsibility for them. I pointed the finger at him. I blamed him. I made him the perpetrator. I made myself the victim, and I started conflict.
1: Mm-hmm. And you would start
0: conflict that wasn't about the stories. Like it would be just not attached. It was definitely about the stories. That it came. the The conflict came because I already had a narrative loop running in my head that. He's the bad guy, or that he always finds fault in what I do. That he's too hard on me. That he's just like my mother. Surprise! Mm, Yeah. (laughs) That he never acknowledges me. That he doesn't appreciate me. Blah blah blah.
1: Do you have one memory, a story that you could tell to really
0: illustrate this dynamic? The the one. This is not a singular moment, but this was the pattern because I, of course, attracted someone. That reminds me of my mother where I had a lot of unresolved wounds upon coming into the relationship. I attracted someone who has uh, a very perceptive and sometimes critical eye. And again, this is my subjective interpretation. This might not even be the truth about him. However, at those points in our relationship, the story that I had in my head was he's always finding fault in me and what I'm doing. I'm always to blame. I'm the problem here. I'm the reason things go sideways and he's always going to point the finger at me. And so because I already had this subconscious narrative from childhood that I'm bad and I'm wrong and I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy, I was finding ways to confirm that narrative through his actions as an adult. <laughs> And of course, it had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with my childhood. But I was taking that felt-sense experience and those ideas about myself and projecting it onto him and then making him the problem and making him the reason why I feel bad about myself. Right.
1: And so what would it look like to have taken responsibility and addressed them? Because sometimes isn't it true that he may be being a little bit more critical than is helpful?
0: Oh yeah, that was definitely the case. And he'll he'll (laughs) admit to that too. It's interesting because in relationships, the the universe's design is so intelligent. Of course, I am going to show up in the way that triggers him most, and he's going to show up in the way that triggers me most. So that if we bring enough of this dynamic to the light of our conscious awareness, we can actually work through it. This is the chance that we have to resolve it. But if we're Continuing to operate from unawareness or unconsciousness, then we're going to, we're going to be in the gauntlet, like butting heads all the time. So essentially what would happen was he would point something out. I would make it mean I'm bad. I'm wrong. But that was such a shameful thing for me to feel. So instead what I did was I would either lash out and get defensive and take zero responsibility and point the finger back at him and try and even the score, or I would completely shut down, collapse. I, I would go into freeze or I would go into fawn. I would be completely numb in my body and completely offline. So those were my two responses that I ping-ponged in between. And at that point, I didn't have enough selfing ability to say, I'm good, I'm okay, I'm enough. And he's bringing something to my attention that feels hurtful for him. Can I acknowledge that he's feeling hurt and not make it mean something about me but say, I hear you. I get how you could feel that way. Let's talk about it. So if I were to take responsibility, it would sound something like that, which I've learned how to do now. But at the time when I was working through this trauma response, I didn't know how to do any of that. Yeah. I so relate. That was like my same
1: pattern with Eric. And it seemed impossible to hear what he had to say. It literally felt like viscerally I would Die if I could hold space for the fucking cri- like idiot things that he was saying. You know, is like where I was coming from. I'm like, how could you possibly have feelings? How could you even not know that I'm right in this situation? You know, yeah, <laughs> and that's where I came from. And then it's taken like two or three or four years to actually reroute that nervous system response and actually learn nonviolent communication. And it's been so liber, It's honestly liberation, right? I feel like when we meet a partner who's willing to do this with us, we're just, it's like a video game. And like every time we move through this, these triggers together, it's like, ah, oh, this is amazing. Like, let's go to the next level. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, is nonviolent communication, is all of this kind of manipulative, you know? Cause I'm like, yes, I have the capacity to hold space for your inner child. And usually it disarms somebody to the point where they like really see where I'm coming from. And I'm like, this is so easy. Like, I can't believe I spent so many years doing it the other way. I mean, because that's all we knew. I'm curious what you think, or like, I'm sure you work with many clients that don't have partners who are as into this work or participate in it. And just curious your thoughts on how to navigate that.
0: Yeah. You know, there's a ton of inner work that we can do single that we can do on our own or that we can do with other people in our lives that aren't romantic partners. And there's also a unique set of inner work that can only be done in relationship. So one of the things that I share with my clients, most of whom are single and wish to attract the love of their life and create a healthy, thriving relationship is treat yourself the way you would want your partner to treat you and become that partner to yourself. And this this involves a lot of really slowing down and becoming present with the invisible things that happen in our minds. So it could be something as simple as when you have a blemish on your face, do you sit in the mirror and criticize yourself and pick at it? Or do you say, baby girl, you're beautiful no matter what. You don't even need makeup. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the, it's, it's these very mundane, ordinary moments that we have thousands of choice points where we can treat ourselves and talk to ourselves the way our partner would talk to us if we had attracted our ideal partner with who, who really embodies unconditional love. Or we can continue the same handed down, boring, tired narrative that most of us do in our minds, myself included sometimes, which is like, Nitpicking, criticizing, judging, making less than all the things. And, you know, usually that's for a very intelligent reason. We're trying to keep ourselves safe and protect ourselves because if we criticize ourselves and cut ourselves down first, then nobody can beat us to it. And so, you know, there's a for it. Right.
1: It's this really young, like for most people I work with, you know, it's all of our trauma patterns were we only had ourselves to cut down when we were children because we relied on other people for our survival. So that means like, of course I can change something about myself. So if I continue beating myself up, there's a way through. And that was the old way through. And so now, yeah, we have to, as adults, like reroute that trauma response, which is so difficult when it kept us safe for so long. And I really love what you're saying about be the partner that you want. Like most recently with my practitioner Ali Bogard, she kind of guided me through, you know, because I'm experiencing some triggers and stuff as I'm navigating dating and taking my time and assessing who's right for me. You know, I feel like I'm 80% so secure and solid and then I'm like I'll send a text and then feel the the body responses of like this big wave of anxiety in my chest. That's like in an image, it looked like clay daggers that were like revolving or something. I know that sounds so weird. And she was like, what if you let that happen? And how would you want him to respond to you? And I was, and and sometimes I find that it's, well, it's easier for us to know how we want them to respond because this is like that codependent fantasy that has been ingrained in our minds. And I'm like Prince Charming, you know. And I'm like, oh, well, of course I want him to be like, oh, I know that you're going through a lot, so why don't I come out to you on Saturday to make it easier for you? She's like, okay, now imagine yourself attending to yourself that way. And so I do, and then the wave turns into this work of art that's in the MoMA. And then you know, like that energy is transmuted from something that's so painful and I'm suppressing into like oh, I'm looking at it in awe and I don't need answers. And I just get to witness this piece of art, just like how I would want to witness this relationship unfolding, you know, without. And so that was so helpful. And then of course, and she said to me, she was like, the way that you respond to yourself is the way that other people are going to respond to you. And then a few hours later, he said that exact thing, you know, that I wanted him to respond to me. And, And it just, I just keep, you know, before I entered this path, I, you know, when everybody's like, "We're all made of energy," you know, we want to be like that's. I'll believe that until I'm actually in fight or flight, you know, <laughs> and then I'm surviving. But the more and more I lean in, it's just so true to me that it, it, we are so magnetic in the ways that if we can respond to ourselves in this way, the outside world will mirror back the same. And my question for you that comes up is: This came up recently. In working with some clients is, you know, when we have experienced a lot of abuse or criticism growing up, what happens when we try and turn towards ourselves to be like, baby girl, I love you no matter what that way. And there's like a lot of resistance, like so much resistance that it's unbelievable that we could actually speak to
0: ourselves that way. Yeah, I recognize that's a stretch for a lot of people. I wanna speak to two things. I'll answer your question first, and then I wanna follow up on something you'd shared. We have to meet ourselves where we're at. Because if we're being inauthentic in our self-talk, because we heard somebody say it on a podcast or because we read it on Instagram, then it's it's pretty useless. So often what I would do and what I have shared with other clients is meet yourself where you're at. And so if the instance, let's go back to the blemish example, is I see a blemish on my face and I have a big photo shoot or I have a podcast recording or something, I might not say, baby girl, I love you no matter what. I might say, Okay. I have a blemish on my face and I really hate that. Okay, I don't like it, but I'm here. This is what's happening. The blemish is on my face. The cover-up is not working. That's the truth of this. I feel really angry about it. I'd like to not feel angry, but I do. I want to love myself unconditionally, but that's not accessible right now. And so just stating the hard, cold facts about how things are for us can often be just the validation and the acknowledgement that we need that doesn't make it go away, doesn't necessarily make us feel better, but we level with ourselves. Like human to human, we're like, okay, I see you, I'm here, I got you, real talk, you don't like this, it's here, we're gonna, the show is gonna go on anyway, and we can tend to this in whatever way we see fit.
1: Yeah, it's like what the inner child needed from the adults,
0: you know? That was literally just like, I'm here. Your experience is valid. Yeah, and that might be it. And that's awesome. That's just as good as I love you unconditionally. You don't need makeup. Like they're, they're they're just as good as each other. The other thing I wanted to speak to that you had shared was the energetic work you were doing. I love what your practitioner guided you through when she said, "How would you like him to respond?" And then you actually imagined it. You did. You went through your process to give that to yourself. Something that is so valuable in that is one, that you're becoming aware of what your need and desire is, and you're giving that to yourself. Another thing that you could play with, if ever it feels right for you, is as you become aware of that need or desire, sharing very clearly with him, hey, you know what? I would love if you could pick me up on Saturday. That would feel so good for me. And being super clear in a, a request, which opens the door to all sorts of things rejection, questioning, acceptance, and hell yes. Like it opens the door to any of those things. But what I often see a lot of women struggle with, and I struggled with this, and sometimes I still do, is wanting men to read our minds and know exactly what we want. And then sometimes that happens. A lot of times it doesn't. And then us feeling disappointed and continuing to compound the narrative that we're not worthy. He doesn't know us. This isn't right. Our needs don't matter. When we could simply be in the beautiful inquisitive process of what do I need? What do I desire? Is that something I can make a request for without attachment as to whether or not he can meet that need? Simply for the sake of my expression and getting to practice what it's like to own that need, and to communicate it as a bid for intimacy and connection.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thousand percent. This is like, I think the one step that you talked about in my container when you were teaching Awakening the Wild Woman, when like talking about masculine feminine polarity. And we have that like nurturing mother part that's there to tend to the inner child and be like, hey baby, I got you. You know, the unwavering presence of the masculine that's like, you know, holding the container. And then at some point, that I think what you said was the penetrative masculine that's like, okay, now we take action to change our outcome. And that I think is a lot of the sticking point for a lot of what I find women's issues, including myself. Literally, when you said one more thing you can do is say, is request this. You saw my eyes get big. I'm like, oh fuck, you know, because it means I can be abandoned. I can be seen as needy. I, he can decide that I'm too much, right? And But of course, at the end of the day, it's like, unless I courageously do that, I'm not gonna be able, I'm not actually doing the steps to be met in the
0: emotional way that I'm looking for from a partner. Yeah. And I mean, this is just a matter of semantics, but he can't decide shit. He could think you're too much and he could tell you, Tammy, you're too much. He could, he could flat out say that, but him saying that and him thinking that, and that being the objective truth of the world and of your reality and existence are two completely different things. So the, the real juice here, and I'm preaching to the choir is you continuing to affirm that you're not too much, that your needs matter, that they are important and that you are worthy regardless of whether or not he meets your request, period, end of story And how he responds is, you know, his own thing. Right. Just to
1: give it some practical context right now, for example, we've probably been seeing each other on and off for the past four or five months. And either I'm traveling or he's traveling or I have work or he has work or he's sick. (laughs) So we've seen each other probably every two or three weeks. So the, so it seems like a long amount of time, but the cadence has been slow, which actually I've really appreciated. It's forced me to be with my own responses where, you know, the last relationship I had, I rushed straight in. And what happened was I offloaded all of my work onto the relation, you know, like it, it was just like a clusterfuck of like, let's all process this together. And now with this, it's like the universe is forcing me to have this titrated and titrated means for anybody listening, like slow and tolerable. Experience of we see each other. I have an amazing time, and then afterwards, I experience all of these fears and responses that my mind makes up, that my body makes up, and I'm forced to be with them on my own, with my practitioners, with my friends, and what my practitioner Ali Bar- Bogard calls getting sober. <laughs> you know, instead of putting casting all my projections on him. So that's been really nice, and. Now that I'm in this place of like, I do, I am finding that I do want a life partner. I want somebody to create with. I want somebody to be part of my life. And I'm figuring out what that looks like for me. It's like right now, the cadence feels fine. But there's part of me that's like wants to label him as avoidant or not caring enough or not committing enough time. And this should be a red flag. You know what I mean? even though the last relationship, it was like total love bombing and that didn't work out well either. So I'm just curious, like at what point is, because what you're saying about making that request for my needs helps me not fall into the trap of just being the cool girl that has no needs. And then suddenly one day I'm like, why aren't we married with kids? And then that's the major rupture.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, my my question to you would be, what do you really desire in this situation? As far as like the frequency with which you see each other, what you desire to happen next. It's strange
1: because I feel like my intention after my six-year relationship was to be able to take my time and date several people, possibly at the same time, to try out different flavors and see what works for me and what doesn't. But in my experience, it's not like I just have like a platter of opportunities all at once, you know, especially living in a small town. And so then that comes to head with then all the fears and 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 questions around timeline, like literally biologically, right? That's forced into all of us as women as well. And yeah, like when it's it's, this is the confusing part. It's like, When am I not doing myself a service by continuing to quote unquote, remain open, even though there aren't, there isn't anybody else I'm dating right now. You know, am I being the avoidant one by not leaning into the intimacy that's right here in front of me, which like, to be honest, I'm the one that's really not leaning in for this request because there's part of me that's like, well, I should be keeping my options open and dating around. So then I'm also like not asking for my needs to be met in more consistency. And I also understand his schedule because I also and am an entrepreneur and I'm busy myself. It's so funny because when you ask me this, you can see how I just like dance around the question. What are my needs?
0: Yeah, and I mean you came to that that conclusion on your own. So I, I mean, now that you're aware, what what are your needs? Well, I want to.
1: I do want to have like a stable relationship, a secure relationship where I don't have to dance around the feeling that I do desire secure secure relationship with a team team like vision of possibly having a family and being able to collaborate in both our Earth missions as well as, you know, our businesses, you know, like our material life together. So that's, I know that that's the vision and the desire that I hold long-term for partnership. And then it's like the, on the way there, you know, cause I I've seen, it can be way too soon sometimes to be, you know what I mean? Like bringing those things up and they come out as demands and then we may end a relationship too soon. Yeah. So that's coming up for me and it's hard to say at any given time what my needs really are because right now in this moment, I can see the pros and cons of, whatever our setup is right now.
0: And, you know, your needs in one moment might be different than your needs in another moment. Your desires in this conversation might be different than your desires in five minutes. All of that's okay. What I'm hearing you say is that ultimately you want life partnership with someone who's also, who has purpose, who is on this earth to fulfill his mission, who can support you and yours and vice versa. And where you become force multipliers for each other. Like one plus one equals 11, not two. And like, you know, with your powers combined, you know, like awesomeness happens. So that's what I'm hearing you want ultimately. Is that something you want to work toward building now? Or do you, is there still space that you need to reconcile what might be right for you right now? You mean in the context of this particular relationship? in the context of this relationship with him and then generally in this period of time in your life. Mm, Almost like a question of like, am I ready for that kind of commitment or intensity or whatever right now? I mean, maybe not are you ready, but do you do you want that? Do you want to experience what comes along with the creation of partnership with someone? I mean, I don't, like, are we ever ready? I don't know. (laughs) Totally
1: yeah thank you for asking me that. I think I've been kind of on autopilot because I've been building out you know my my business, my Earth mission, and this year, I've been really working on coming away from that fixation of finding a partner and really dedicating my energy to my clients, you know the the weight the, the what I'm really driven to care about on this earth in this life. And in that process, there's part of me that's like. I don't have time for somebody's bullshit or like, I don't have time to take on another client as a partner. But now this may be a different reality where my partnership isn't like I need to hold somebody else's emotional baggage, right? And if that's the kind of partnership we're talking about, then yes, I do think I want to experience that now. I think until you asked me that, I've been operating under, I don't really have time for all that. But that's like with my hidden belief that partnership has to be a burden, which is what I witnessed my whole life, you know, growing up with an alcoholic dad. But yeah, if a partnership isn't a burden, then I I do, I do want to experience that
0: right now. Yeah. Beautiful. And I can't speak definitively for what will happen to you, but I'll say this as your friend. A part of we all have the things that we're working through, our patterns. And given what you experienced in childhood growing up, you did have to caretake. You did have to manage someone else's emotions and responses. You did have to attune to your dad to see if he was in a good mood. Should you show yourself? Should you be invisible? That's a lot for a child to have to manage. And that's only what I'm mentioning. There was so much more that your sweet little girl brain and body and heart had to do that wasn't her responsibility to do. All those years ago for many, many years. So that's one. Two, I hear the grown woman in you saying, yeah, I want a relationship where we can show up as equals and where we can support one another and cheerlead one another and do the inner work together. And a part of that inner work for you specifically is going to be being with the urge that comes up in you to caretake and to coach and to provide emotional support. Because it's often easy to say we don't want that, but then the habituated pattern in our nervous system is to provide that because some part of us esteems our own worth in that way. And that's how we feel valuable and worthy in our provision because some part of us doesn't feel Or perceive ourselves to be inherently worthy. So the only thing to do is just to continue reminding yourself, I'm good. It's okay. If I caretake, I'll just try and become aware of it and I'll try and find what works more functionally for me. And if I catch myself and I, you know, change the course of the pattern, great. If I don't, I'll be with myself no matter what I will have my back. If I do the old pattern, I'll accept myself. If I don't do the old pattern, I will accept myself. I will try and speak up as much as I can. I will do the very best that I can. And I would like a partnership where we can be equals. And I know that that's going to require something different from me to be an energetic match for that. And I will do everything I see in my awareness to do or not do or to to be aware of. And I will try my very best. And that's
1: it. Right. And I've been very aware of the caretaking pattern. And now, you know, do you see this a lot? Sometimes I feel like I've auto corrected to the other way where I'm like, it's cool. We don't, we don't need to see each other that much. Like this works for me. <laughs> and so then now the next phase that you're talking about is leaning in to the truth of my need and the rec- making those requests to lean into intimacy.
0: Yeah. And and sometimes we have to swing the pendulum in the other direction. That's just how we regulate as humans. It's how we find a new balance point or homeostasis. Something that could be fun if you have capacity for it, you know, in any given moment is to let him in on the process and say, you know what? One of the narratives that I've had my whole life is that I'm a burden. I'm too much and that I have to caretake in order to be loved can I practice being too much with you or what I think is too much? Like, can we just have a whole day where I practice asking you for things that I want and sharing how awkward and terrifying it is for me, but we're in a practice container. And you set you set the ground rule of how each of you is going to operate and what you need to have this be an enriching experience for you. And then have a little debrief at the end of the day and just be extra that day because you have the context that you're going to practice being quote unquote too much so that you can see what's there for you and, and then have fun with it and, and see what it's like to be a little extra compared to your standard of, you know, what that means. Right.
1: (sighs) I feel like whenever I'm doing this work and literally right when you said that my eyes bulged again, like my heart jumped into my throat and I'm like, (sighs) It's always like the exact thing that I need to lean in for, which is so, my God, this work is hilarious. My teacher, Adriana Rizzolo, always says, it's not intimacy unless you might be abandoned, unless you're afraid. It's one thing for us all to be like, let's just practice communication. But yeah, just really naming what shows up in the body when we do lean in for these things, you know, like literally. The image is my heart jumping into my throat. It's like choking my windpipe. Uh, <laughs> and then like you said, just being able to be right here with that and be like, it's okay that you're experiencing this. Like, here I am. This is what's happening right now. I love that suggestion. Yeah, th- that's beautiful. Like inviting somebody in to create a container to be with what's here so that I'm not just holding it all alone and almost playing like some chess game by myself, you know, afraid of like moving and stepping on a landmine is kind of
0: normally how it feels when we're just trying to navigate relationships one-sidedly. Yeah. And, you know, to your teacher's point, intimacy doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean you've in a vacuum done all your inner work and your attachment wounds are healed and you're like, a somatic expert in every single moment who can regulate and, you know, whatever. Some intimacy often means getting messy together and allowing ourselves to be seen first by ourselves and then by the, the person or people that we're intimately connecting with. And sometimes that means revealing our process and taking on the state that is authentic for us in that moment.
1: Yeah revealing the process because that's just something that we never learned growing up. And we're expected to like basically make a finished beautiful product project and be like, hello, here I am. Here's me, you know? So I love that metaphor. I'm curious in your relationship with Ani, you know, it's been five years, just like, is there a brief overview of timeline of like The first two years were rocky and then we kind of figured some things out and maybe it's like a little smoother or you kind of are, you maybe get to a point where
0: things are more resolved easier or yeah, I don't know. Do you have any insight on that? I'll share my timeline. I think everyone's timeline is completely unique and different. So anybody listening, take it with a grain of salt. It doesn't mean this is how your relationship went or how your next one's going to go. Ani and I are both pretty intense people. So for the first three months of our our relationship, we were just friends. Extremely platonic. Like there was no romance, no spark. there. There was no dynamic between us other than friendship. So that was really lovely because we built a lot of trust and safety in those three months. Only then did I start to realize like I really like him. I feel safe with him. This is crossing like my wires are crossed because usually when I start a relationship with someone, I want to fuck them. And I'm sexually attracted and it's hot and heavy and there's a spark right away. And then we fall into a relationship because we started having sex and it's just the the natural thing to do, in air quotes. This time it was not like that. And I'm like, I feel the way I'd want to feel with a life partner with this guy. But I'm not feeling that hot and heavy spark right out of the gate does that mean something is off? And I, I I questioned that for a while in the beginning. And what I had learned in retrospect was that sometimes, not always, but sometimes when we have a heart, a hot and heavy spark, there's a lot of trauma bonding that's happening. And if we don't do the work to maintain the spark, then it can burn out just as fast as it started. So I really went for the slow burn without meaning to in this relationship. It was a very slow burn in the beginning. And so that was the first three months. As soon as things got romantic, we were together all the time and like in each other's lives. And so it went from zero to 100. And within six months of that, we left New York, gave up all of our things, got rid of our leases to travel the world together. Just a few months after that happened, COVID happened, the world shut down, and we were a new couple in a completely new city doing life together. And so it got really on intense. On top of each difficult. other in the same space. In the same space. Yeah. Like don't know what's happening. The world is in one huge trauma response. And so here we are, all of my stuff came out like, you know, seven or eight months into the relationship, like all of it. And we had to work through that. We spent the next like three years, like really in the trenches, like deep in like trauma responses, deep in like all reliving all the childhood wounds, his wounds, my wounds, the wounds that we create together. And it was... Epically challenging for a solid three years. I mean, we had many, many insanely intimate, beautiful, deep moments. And that was peppered into the constant arguments, the constant narratives, everything that I had mentioned earlier in our conversation. And it took a lot of chipping away for us at the dynamics and narratives to get to, you know, even the beginning of the chapter that we're in now, which is so much more mutual respect, really. A greater willingness on both of our parts to take responsibility for what's ours and to compassionately communicate our experience to the other person to get our needs met. A willingness to really listen to the other person and and have a desire to meet their needs. A willingness to turn our awareness inward, to honor our own boundaries and to not martyr ourselves for the cause and then blame it on the other person when we get resentful. Like we've had to work through so many things now we're at a point where we're really, really solid in our relationship, like four and a half years in. And our focus now is turning toward growing the business because I feel like my re- relationship with my business had been very dysfunctional when we were working through our romantic relationship. So now we're turning our awareness to the business and some of the patterns that come up in the business and we're, we're doing the work there. So. That was our timeline, but everyone's is different. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing.
1: And, you know, I'm all about being specific because I feel like it helps people. Like something I'm like really passionate about is like clearing the mumbo jumbo spiritual stuff, you know, cause sometimes when we're just reading like patterns, working through people are like, what patterns? I want to know, you know, and you saw me with Eric and, and my core wounds, right? We're like, just com- my, the comparison of what I grew up to like the white female body or, you know, jealousy uh, with other women, not being seen in my gifts from him. And so I'm curious if you would be willing to share your laundry list <laughs> Yeah, of what
0: was your stuff. I'll air the dirty laundry. So I had a narrative in my mind that I wasn't enough that I wasn't worthy, that I wasn't lovable, that I had to work really hard to prove myself and to earn love, that I had to perform, that my body had to be thin and fit, that my skin had to be clear, that I have to be desirous of sex all the time, that I have to sound a certain way during sex, that I have to smell a certain way, like all the things, an impossible list to achieve all the time. And if I didn't achieve all of those things, I wasn't worthy. And because I experienced crippling shame, if all of those checkbox, those boxes weren't checked, I would often crumble underneath the shame and I, I would either collapse and make myself bad or wrong and shut down in conversations, shut down in conflict and sort of like tuck my tail between my legs and just say, I'm bad. I'm sorry. Or I would get big and puff up and become grandiose and defensive because I was holding all of these ideas inside of my body all the time. And that's what I was operating from. And so for me, that looked like not up for my needs, not even taking time to think about what they were, not honoring my boundaries and getting mad at him when he crossed them, even though I didn't speak up about them, getting defensive, arguing, not listening, making up stories in my mind about him and who he is and all the things he does and then shitting on myself about all the things that I need to fix and change, but being so disconnected from the fact that I wanted to actually make shifts, because I felt so ashamed of them, so then dissociating from my reality altogether.: <laughs> It's fun.
1: <laughs> I love the way that you put that.: Yes, I want to just make that into like one TikTok and: I thank you so much for sharing your laundry list. For, and, and I totally identify with that. And for example, in Awakening the Wild Woman, that's part of like my journey too of realizing how much I was holding my body mentally, physically, literally down to like the ways that we are taught to suck in or like tuck in our pelvis, you know, to be like the, you know, thick, you know, with especially with women growing up in the 90s, the images that we were, that were, we were shown. And it's like that's actually a physical toll of like how much you're energetically holding in. And so I so relate to that. And I'm curious, was there ever like, for example, if your skin was bad or if you felt like you weren't skinny enough that day, was that something, how would that come out? Like, would that literally come out at him for in ways that's like, you're not attracted
0: to me or was it like that one-to-one? Sometimes it would be like that. I I didn't often blame him for not being attracted to me, but I would start to, my posture, my shoulders would start to slump forward. My My voice would get smaller. I would make my needs really small. I would be very short in conversation. I wouldn't be open and expressive and affectionate the way I like to be. I would immediately internalize anything he said that could have been completely unrelated as I'm bad or wrong. And so then I would either collapse and like profusely apologize or I would get defensive. So often the response to that internalized narrative was something completely different than like, you're not attracted to me. In the moments when I was actually being honest with myself, I might say to him, hey, do you still find me attractive? Because I feel like you don't. I I would ask the question. But when I was not aware that that was playing out inside of me, it would come out in all these other unconscious ways.
1: Yeah, which essentially just kind of makes you rigid and it's not really inviting intimacy or like, it's like the polarity difference, right? Because, or I don't know if I'm onto something there, but can you elaborate more on the polarity of that? Yeah,
0: it when we think about polarity and how two adult people relate to each other, when we are in our adult state from a a somatic perspective, from an emotional perspective, from an embodied perspective, an adult meaning like we're aware, we're conscious, we're present, we're we're in uh, in a, a state of choice and choosing about how we want to operate. And typically, we choose something that feels good and aligned for us. That's you know the adult state loosely. When we're operating from a state of one down or from uh, narratives that we're not good enough or not worthy, we typically regress into a childlike state of consciousness, psychology, a, an embodied state, which is that you know. We're, we're not good enough. We need somebody to validate us, et cetera. And so when we're operating from that state, it's typically if, if we identify as a woman and we're in relationship with a man, for example, that's typically not what makes us attractive to a grown man is when we are in a childlike state. There's nothing bad or wrong about being in a childlike state. Sometimes that's where we are, but it's not the thing that a grown man would be attracted to hopefully. Right. So then we, we don't have polarity or attraction.
1: Right. And then do we also tend to attract maybe another child, somebody who's
0: kind of in the childlike state? We may proportionally attract someone else who's in the childlike state. We may attract someone who has a savior complex or who really wants to rescue. If we are needing to be rescued. Or we may attract someone who completely disregards our needs and, and the state that we're in, because that might be what's familiar for our nervous system as well. Especially if we, if our needs were neglected or weren't tended to as children. Right. I love all this.
1: And uh, I guess this is a, I'm so curious what you're up to. I know that you just created a course that I'm so excited about that kind of attends to, would you say it's like early dating or like dating throughout a relationship? Would you say it's like how to attract a partner? Like, tell me about this amazing thing that you've created because I could have used it and can use it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So we just created a course called Dating Decoded and it's all about how to, one, demystify modern dating because it sometimes feels so freaking confusing even though we have more information than ever. And two, how to identify and work through the blocks that are keeping us from both attracting and keeping the kind of man that is emotionally available, that's ready for commitment, and that's also on a path of doing the inner work. So it's it's all of that in one. I, the, the woman that this is really best fit to serve is a woman who is single and either not actively dating, but she'd like to date again soon, or she's single and actively dating, And she's really ready to call in her partner. She's really ready to call in someone who's ready for serious commitment. However, it seems that there are some invisible roadblocks that are getting in the way that even if she has all the head knowledge about attachment theory and somatic embodiment and all of these things, when the rubber meets the road, it still feels really hard to work through some of the blocks that might be there to either attracting the kind of man that she wants to be in relationship with or to staying in a healthy dynamic with him.
1: Right. And you kind of spoke to some of those with me, which are like the, re- to get through those roadblocks, it's like, how do we lean into the requests and like create containers to bring our process into relationship rather than trying to figure it out all on, on our own and then assess if he's emotionally unavailable or, you know, whatever that just puts us into the blame game. Yeah. I love that. Would you say in general, I've heard this around. I don't know if it's, you know, I know that there's so many truths, but there's something that floated around a while ago that I kind of resonated with. But do you feel like in general, women, there's like some polarity thing where we, we are like the, the invitation into emotional intimacy kind of like, I think what I heard was that like a woman is Really connected to God because, you know, our womb is in sync with the rhythms of the moon and we bring life onto earth. And so in some way, part of our divine divinity is inviting the masculine into this kind of emotional intimacy.
0: I'm just curious what you think about that. We definitely have a superpower with that for sure. And that doesn't mean that the masculine energy within us or within men can't also Lead us into emotional intimacy, like Ani has led me into emotional intimacy more times than I could count when I didn't have the capacity to be the invitation into that for us and so it's i we all have a special assignment in front of us at this point in time in history where the only thing that's going to get us into the relationships that we want to 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 thrive and to have the vision of this earth as one that's full of love is to practice emotional intimacy with ourselves, with each other. So to answer your question, in my experience, women definitely have a special superpower with emotional intimacy. Should we accept the assignment to really explore that within ourselves and within our relationships in a different way than many men do? It's not that men can't, they certainly can. And there's something about our journey as women and in our feminine energy that allows us to go really really deep into our own emotional states in a way that most men weren't conditioned into or weren't taught how to do because we're still coming out of the paradigm where men have to be tough and boys shouldn't cry and all of that so but but i think that we're all finding some sort of equilibrium right now yeah I totally feel that. It's like
1: finding that ground where, yes, we're not completely caretaking, but at the same time, not expecting that men don't have emotions and that we also don't have something to teach about that, you know, I guess kind of what I'm hearing. And then before we wind down, I just have one last question of what you, how you would respond to the question around what does it mean for a man to be emotionally available? Because I think this one question I know in myself triggers like me to kind of assess all the red flags or try to put them into a box and takes me out of that uh, conscious relating back and forth dance. But what does it mean for a man to be emotionally
0: available? I love that question. That's such a good question. And note that this is not a definitive definition. The first thing that that comes up for me when you ask that is, is he willing to be there? Like, is he willing to be there in the conversation? It might be that unique conversation that's happening in that moment, but I also mean the macro conversation of the relationship or of the dating dynamic. Does he show a willingness to share where he's at? Does he show a willingness to be curious about where you're at? Does he... Have a willingness to confront the challenging moments and even say things like, hey, this feels really hard for me to talk about. Or to even admit, hey, I haven't thought about that yet. I don't know how I feel. Can I get back to you? Or hey, I don't want to talk about that. There's something in me that's really resistant right now and I see that I'm wanting to push you away. And again, that that statement denotes a high level of self-awareness, but is there just a general willingness for on behalf of the man to have the conversations that would allow for deeper emotional intimacy. Sometimes the conversations feel good. Sometimes they don't feel good, but he will. Totally. I love that. Right. And it's so different from
1: where I found myself getting tripped up in my six year relationship where the only thing I was taught to assess emotional availability is like, Hey, are you ready for commitment? Do you see a life for us together? And then us getting stuck in that conversation because he's like, I don't know. But on my part, it's not like I even knew how to have the other conversations of how are you like, what's present in your body? Like, how can I hold space for your process right now? So I love kind of teasing apart that nuance in this really highly charged question. Thank you. Yeah. I'm curious if there's anything else that you'd want to speak to of how to, you know, what you're working on, what you're excited about inviting people into over the next Six months or a year, I know that we are working on something super exciting that I'll kind of announce more later on, but it's a workshop with Lee and Ani that'll uh, be around Valentine's Day, I think we said, or maybe on Valentine's Day, speaking directly to dating. And, you know, for those of you who haven't experienced Lee and Ani live in action, I mean, after you taught in Awakening the Wild Woman, the comments in the group chat were like, "Holy wow, that was like the most like that was my favorite live workshop ever. And you know, the women were just commenting on how reparative it was to get to watch Ani hold that masculine presence, you know, to to actually have what you're talking about almost like the felt sense of what it feels like to have an emotionally available man there, simply to just attune and to be with. and so. I'm really excited about offering that to my community and it's going to be free. But other than that, I want to see,
0: Lee if you have anything else you want to speak to. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to be with your community again for that workshop. So can't wait for that. Right now, I'm so excited. Like my heart is charged up around Dating Decoded, which is the course that I just shared about. And the community that that course comes with a lifelong community so that you can be in community with other women who are walking this path, who are actively doing the inner work to say, okay, what do I want? What do I need? How do I create it? Can I have support with that? So I'm, I'm so jazzed about that. We're actually about to launch the course. It's at datingdecodedcourse.com and. Gosh, I've just been pouring my heart into that and to a few other courses as well that are soon to be released. But that's what we've been working on. And then really just sharing this work, being in live workshops with other practitioners like you and for our community. And that has been like such a, a, a wild labor of love for me in, in the past few months.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love the idea of community, just sharing our experiences with other women. That's really what I feel like is the medicine right now of just sharing our experiences because all of them are so different. So excited for what you're creating. And I think it's so needed right now. So I'm so grateful to get to get some of your medicine today as usual. Uh, thank you. It's such a pleasure being here with you as always. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Lee and Ani are going to be hosting a free workshop for my community on Valentine's Day called Becoming Magnetic. It's a workshop for those of you single women who are ready to find your forever person, attract your man, or attract the love of your life. And you can sign up to join in the link section of my Instagram profile. Just look for the link that says Becoming Magnetic. I'm so looking forward to the workshop myself and I can't wait to meet you guys. So sign up for my email list for announcements or follow me on Instagram and I'll be putting more info out there. I'll see you next time on The Art of Relating.
0: My brother live in a jungle concrete Like a belly gone rumbling Only wants a taste of the sky Wind and fire set in the seeds For the son of his son to come with him One day taste the roots he was born From passing the story How all hands came together as
1: one